Yo, today's QOD is what's inside of me that's stopping this from happening. Here we go. Welcome back to the Quote of the Day show. I'm your host, Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. We got a brand new speaker on the show today for your Motivation Monday. His name is Andre Norman, and he's going to tell a very inspiring story about how he went from gangbanger to a long prison sentence to a fellowship from Harvard. It's amazing what he's done, and you can do it as well. But you got to ask yourself the question, what's inside of me? That's stopping this from happening. Andre Norman, he's coming up. Born in Boston. I'm my matter high school sweetheart. She had two kids. Everything was great, except for he robbed banks for a living. He went to prison. While he was in prison, she met my dad, a local drug dealer. She had, two, she had four more kids. And six kids, mom, dad, everything's great, except for my dad had a habit of beating up my mom. So I grew up in a house where I watched my mother be beat routinely. And I didn't know that this wasn't normal because I didn't live in your house. This is just what I know. And you just deal with it. You come home, and there's crying and screaming. You come home, and there's cookies on the table. You're sitting at the table, at the table eating dinner. Everything's great. And dad reads over this slug's mom. And you get used to it. In the 70s, it wasn't called domestic violence. It was called handling your household. And that's just what I grew up in. I finally got old enough to go to school. I jumped on a bus, and I went to the school. I'm playing. I'm like, I'm the kid that came home missing clothes. So if I didn't come home missing clothes, I didn't have a great day. I come home like, where's your shoe at? I'm like, I don't know, but I had a great day, Mom. <laughs> come home with somebody else's jacket on. That's not the, I, hey, Mom, I had a great day. I mean, I just loved going to school because there's so many kids, and they were different, and we could just play all day. And I got on the bus, we're coming home, we're laughing, we're joking, and we hit the corner, and we're almost home, and the next, you know, rocks came crashing through our bus window. And behind the rocks came some names. First was nigger, then spare chucker. And I'm sitting on the bus, and rocks are crashing. I fall to the floor. I'm a first grader. I'm a little kid. I'm crying. I'm watching my cousin bleed from his face because he got cut by the glass. When we get home, I go into the house. I go up to the big guy, my dad. I said, who are these people? Because I never met white people before. Why are they throwing rocks at me? Nobody's ever thrown rocks at me before. And what are these names? I've never heard these names before. I need you to take a second and just be my dad. And your son walks into the house and says, Dad. What do these names mean? Why are they calling me these names? Why are they throwing rocks at me, Dad? My father looked at me. I looked at him. I'm waiting for the dad-son interaction, and he walks away. And I'm left standing there not understanding this, but I found out as an adult, my father grew up in a town called Petersburg, Virginia. And when he was 14, kids threw rocks names at him. My grandfather told him, that's just the way it is, son. Protect your sisters and run faster. So when it happened to his kids, he was twice as traumatized. And that's just what it was. And one day, the rock started, and one day, the rock stopped. And for my mom, one day, the beating started. One day, the beating stopped. I came home from school, and they said, Dad's gone. What do you mean, Dad's gone? He's gone. Single mom, six kids living in the city. You've seen the movie. If not, Jeff's going to make it. <laughs> and single mom, what do you do now? 
we bounce around, we try to find some place, we find a new place, we go to a new school. And in the third grade, I find out something. I'm illiterate. I can't read and write, just like my dad. But it wasn't a problem, because they had a thing called the dummy class, where they took all the little kids who couldn't read and stuck us at the end of the hall. And that's where they put me, at the end of the hall in the dummy class. And while I was in there, there was a teacher named Miss Oliver who pulled me out of the dummy class. She said, you're not a dummy, you just learn differently. And she took the time to teach me my learning style. And when, she, when I finished the third grade, I was on track. I got to middle school, I could read and write like the other kids, but I found out something in middle school, I was poor. So I had to go to the park after school to sell drugs, weed, <laughs> to buy clean socks and to buy new shoes and to not be made fun of. And I did that. And by the time I got to high school, I was just a mess. I just went off the tracks and I could give you the whole rundown of me crashing and bumping, going to jail. But at the end of the day, I ended up in state prison at 18 with a 100 year sentence. And when I got there, the gang members received me. They said, we'll keep you safe and we'll show you how this works. So for six years, I ran with the gangs. And I did everything gangs do. I stabbed people, I fought people, I fought on airplanes. You've seen Con Air, I've lived it. I've made them land planes twice. I was all in 100%. Then I woke up one day and I realized something. I'm the king of nowhere. I'm the king of nothing. Nobody cared that I was this king of this prison in the middle of nowhere. So I came up with a concept that I could do and be better. And I wanted to be successful. So I said, successful people go to college. So I'll go home and go to college, and that's what I'll be. So I picked a school called Harvard University. And when I picked it, I came out my cell the next day. I got the dudes guys. I said, check this out, fellas. I figured it out. They said, what's up? I said, I'm going home. I'm going to Harvard. I'm going to be successful. They looked at me. So I said it again. I said, yo, I figured it out. I'm going home. I'm going to go to Harvard. I'm going to be successful. It was like silence like this. They wanted to laugh at me. They wanted to laugh at me, but I had a habit of stabbing people. <laughs> so nobody laughed. Then my buddy pulled me to the side and said, Dre, what are you talking about? You can't go to Harvard. I said, why? He said, you're black. He said, you can't do this. He said, you're a gang member. He said, you're poor. You're one of us. This is our space. This is our lot in life. I'm like, no, this is my dream. And I walked away from my friends. I went by myself, and I wrote out my little plan. I came up with a plan. I said, these are the things that I want. Harvard University. I looked in the mirror, I said, what's inside of me to stop this dream from happening? I stopped blaming other people. It's not my dad's fault. It's not my mom's fault. It's not the kids who threw rocks at me fault. What's inside of me that is stopping this from happening? And I made a list of those things. I started working on them. I got my GED. Then I went to a thing called anger management class because I had a slight anger management problem. <laughs> it wasn't bad. And after anger management, I started going to counseling. I started going to therapy. I started going to everything that wasn't nailed down. I ran out of stuff. And they finally said, um, they took me to a thing called AA. I said, I don't drink, though. They said, just sit down. They said, when you hear us talk about drinking, they substituted for anger. They took me to NA. They said, you hear us talk about drugs, substituted for anger. They said, Dre, you can't always get it perfect. You have to make work what is. So everything that was there, I did. And for the next eight years of my life, 20 hours a day, I studied. And on November 15, 1999, I walked out of prison. When I walked out, I had a goal and a dream to go to Harvard University and be successful. I went to a local juvenile center and I started talking to kids. I told them, you're going to jail not because you're black. You're going to jail because somebody let you down, hurt your feelings, and you don't know how to handle that, so you act out. And you start doing stuff and it's criminal. And they lock you up. Let me show you how to handle your feelings, then you'll be better. And every day, for the first 90 days, I'm in that juvie center. And they said, hey, Drake, you talk to the girls. So I said, I don't know about being a girl. I went to the girl's side. Molestation, beatings, domestic violence, drugs, prostitution. It was horrible. And I started talking to the girls about how they can be whole. And somebody said, hey, Dre, 
You're doing fabulous, but you're denying people. I said, I don't deny anybody. I work every day. They said, no, there's some kids you won't work with because they're white and their parents want to pay you. I said, white kids ain't got no problems. <laughs> it's their country. They own everything. You know saying? They own the sports teams. They own the businesses. They, I mean, they own the White House. This is free Obama. So it was everything. <laughs> they said, no, Dre, you got to go. So I went to an all-white school. When I got there, it was like one of the really nice schools. I walked up, there was all these nice cars in the parking lot. So I came inside, I said, y'all teachers are paid good. They said, no, those are the students' cars. <laughs> they make us park out back. They take me down to the auditorium, and all these kids start walking in with the little Abercrombie and the Tommy Hilfiger. I'm like, they're probably your kids. <laughs> and they come walking in. I'm like, look at these little rich brats. And I'm like, they got it too good. I shouldn't even be here. But as I talk to them, I figured something out. They do drugs at the white school. They drink at the white school. They have bullies at the white school. They have kids that don't fit in at the white school. Little girl came up to me, she showed me a wrist. She cut from here to here. She said, this is what I do when people don't listen to me at the white school. And when I walked out of there, I was like, never again will I judge somebody based on my ignorance. If you call me, I'll show up. And that's really simple and straightforward. And I started doing the work that I've been doing. I've worked in Honduras. I've worked in Guatemala. I've worked in Saudi Arabia. I became one of the top speakers in YPO and EO. I got my fellowship in 2015 at Harvard Law School. And when they called me, they gave me Dr. Charles Ogletree, who was a flat, phenomenal guy. He gave me my fellowship, and they gave me my email, anorman at harvard.law.edu. I cried because they said I couldn't do it. They said it was impossible. I didn't call the homies and say, yo, y'all messed up. You bet on the wrong horse. I said, dude, I'm here. And I'm invited and I'm welcome. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? If I can get here, you can get wherever you want to. And I just kept working. I've been working, I've been working all the way through. And it was probably six years ago. Every single day. You know me. I'm at somebody's door, talking to somebody's kid, talking to somebody's cousin, talking to somebody's husband or wife. I'm there every day. I wake up because I know what it's like to not have. What drives me is I'm that guy that didn't have that person who didn't have the time. I can't say no to that next kid because I'm tired or I did 30 kids already or 20 adults. No, that next kid is me. So I'm always going to show up. That was Andre Norman. His website is andrenorman.com. You can check out today's entire talk on YouTube. It is called From Prison, Life Sentence to Harvard Professor Andre Norman. All right, my friend, follow me on that Instagram at Sean Croxton, and I will see you tomorrow with Brene Brown. Have a great day. I'm out. Peace. Thank you.